Hello and welcome to the Rookies F1 podcast. My name is Chloe and I've been a Formula One fan since 2013. My name is Rachel and I've been a Formula One fan since 2020. This podcast started as a way to teach Rachel about Formula One, but now the rookie has become the master. See, it's a a funny joke because we're called the rookies and... um, Yeah, carry on. So join us as we talk about Formula One. And even more controversies because, Chloe, what tier are we on? Tier five. Tier five of the controversy iceberg, which, (laughs) contrary to what Chloe thought last week, uh, is not the final tier. It's not the end. There's, (laughs) There's two more tiers after this one. We are not done yet, boys. Certainly not. We have a bit more left to go. Uh, so yeah, if you're not aware, I mean it's been a few episodes since the last one. Controversy Iceberg, created by at F1 Headassery on Twitter, is um, a collection of controversies in Formula One separated into different tiers, with the top tier being the most well-known controversies and the bottom being the least well-known controversies we have done tiers one to four in separate episodes please go back and listen to them if you haven't they're a blast i assure you and you've got loads to look through there's about four hours worth to listen to if you include this probably going to be about five so i'm trying to think of some of the highlights of the past icebergs we had the worst driver in f1 history Mm-hmm. We also had a very well. interesting uh, party. Yep. Nasty. A nasty, nasty. nasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, a uh, Nigerian prince. Um, um, you like that one? <laughs> <laughs> I did like but that one. We have a few more today. I'm sure you'll enjoy them. Some of them are dark, some of them are a bit more light, um, and some of them probably shouldn't be on the controversy iceberg to begin with, but we will get to that when we get to it. I'm excited. Shall we begin? Let's get into it. So, controversy number one on tier five is the Senna assassination theory. Not a fun one, I'm afraid. So, yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of this one because it is a conspiracy about someone's untimely death. But during the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, Ayrton Senna went off the track running in a straight line and hitting a concrete wall. Senna was taken to hospital with a weak heartbeat and experienced a significant loss of blood. He was then declared dead at the hospital with his official time of death being when he hit the wall in the race as he was believed to be brain dead at that point. As the last few seconds of his onboard camera aren't available, no one knows exactly what caused the accident that led to Senna's fatal crash, with common theories being that his steering column failed, he experienced a puncture or tyre failure, or that he simply made a mistake. Unfortunately, due to the loss of onboard footage, many people have come up with conspiracies on what occurred, suggesting that the onboard footage had been intentionally deleted. I couldn't find much on the idea of him being assassinated, apart from someone on the Piston Heads forum saying that they had heard a theory that Senna had been sniped due to the Mafia being unhappy with Senna's foundation organisation, as it took kids out of slums, affecting the Mafia's bottom line margin on cocaine. Um, Yeah, the evidence for this is that the only damage to Senna's helmet was a small hole in his visor, but that was caused by a broken suspension part. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I think this conspiracy is just stupid and disrespectful. I don't think it's appropriate to speculate like that, especially when Adrian Newey, who literally designed the car, has said himself that he thinks it was a steering column malfunction. Um, why no. do people have to make conspiracy out of everything? It's ridiculous. I think it's so disrespectful. Completely disrespectful. And I think it's, it's awful because there is the suggestion in there that someone's purposely done something to his car, even if it's not the blooming mafia. 
the idea that oh someone's deleted that to stop like no it's oh it's just it's it's a very 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 unfortunate accident and while we don't know exactly why it happened it's nothing more than that i mean just just let the poor man rest his poor family and friends it's just so unnecessary he's a legend he's a legend and i wish he was still here but let's respect his legacy please okay moving on less um less sad this one i mean it's still it's not happy but um so next we have the tyrell 1984 disqualification so you may remember a previous controversy from 1982 where the non-turbocharged teams such as brabham and williams found a loophole in the rules and used water tanks that would release water during the race and be filled up right after to somewhat get around the minimum weight do you remember that one? Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Well, by the 1984 season, Tyrell was the only non-turbocharged team. Uh, Wikipedia calls this the only naturally aspirated engine user, but I'm sure if that came out my mouth the first time, you would um, think that I was talking another language because... <laughs> That would not come from my brain. Um, <laughs> which meant that their cars were naturally significantly lighter than the other cars and did not reach the minimum weight limit. Due to this, Tyrell looked to implement a similar, although not identical, system to the controversial water-cooled brakes. What Tyrell did was equip a water injection system to their cars, which basically cools certain parts of the system to help increase the power and its supply tank will be topped up late in the race. Uh, this is all well and good, but during races, little lead shots, which are like the little lead pellets, uh, could be seen coming out of the top of the car enough so that the opposing teams nearby had to sweep them away from when their own drivers uh, pitted. This happened as Tyrell would run the car under the minimum weight throughout the race and then top up the water injection tanks with water mixed with lead shots. However, some of these lead shots would escape out of the tank vent due to the significant pressure whilst pumping the mixture in. Following the Detroit Grand Prix, during which Tyrell's Martin Brundle, heard of him, uh, came second, the Tyrell car was brought in for inspection, as was common with the top cars. After this inspection, during which it was alleged that the water in the water injection tanks were actually 27.5% aromatics, which would be classed as an illegal additional fuel source, Terrell were charged with four charges. Okay, are you ready? Number one, taking on additional fuel during the race. Number two, use of illegal fuel. Number three, equipping the car with illegal fuel lines. And four, using ballast that was incorrectly fixed to the car. What do you think the punishment is? <laughs> A slap on the wrist. <laughs> As punishment, Terrell was excluded from the 1984 World Championship and retroactively as well as proactively disqualified from all races that season. Mm-hmm. Terrell appealed this decision as they argued that the actual fuel con content of the water was well under 1% and well below the rules and that the ballasts were fixed within the remit of the rules. The fuel content point was ignored but the charges were amended to the fuel in the water, unsecured ballast and illegal holes in the bottom of the car in violation of flat bottom rules designed to eliminate ground effect, although these were later determined to be vents with no aerodynamic effect. So still, Tyrell remained disqualified. So, why is this controversial? Well, it's important to know that previously the FIA had put into the rules a reduction of the fuel allowance in each race as well as a ban on refueling, which benefited the naturally aspirated engines as it reduced the power available to the turbocharged cars. Whilst the turbocharged users were against the move, Tyrell as a non-turbocharged engine user, were in favour of it. As unanimity is required for FM rules to be scrapped, the rule went ahead. 
Due to this, many believe that the FIA manipulated the ban on Tyrrell to eliminate the last non-turbo team and satisfy the turbocharged engine users as a way to attract more support and sponsorship from the big manufacturers. Jeez. Mm. Controversial indeed. Big old penalty, penalty that. It is, and it feels like another one of those cases where someone found a loophole and the FAA really didn't like it. <laughs> and they saw it, it's a good chance they saw the opportunity and they took it. I, I think it's likely that that, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the reason it happened. Also, do you think if, like, say, a team pulled off a stint similar to that today, the penalty would be as dramatic? Oh, I, I think a team would have to be do something really bad to get disqualified from the entire championship in this day and age. Like, I, I really think you, you would struggle to get disqualified. I just feel like there's so much money in individual team sponsorship and the sport itself. The, the, the loss of losing a team could be. I mean, would be very detrimental to the sport. Yeah. Not that there wasn't sponsorship back then, but obviously the yeah. amount of money that goes into it nowadays is sickening. And you wonder if it had been a team like like a Ferrari or a McLaren or someone that had pulled it off, would it have been the same punishment? Absolutely not. <laughs> Ferrari could get away with murder. Well... Or could they? <laughs> As we move on to the next controversy, which is the Ferrari barge board in Malaysia. Oh, that was an amazing this is, this segue. Is so good. That we did not practice that. We right, we, we need yeah, this is a problem. We shouldn't be um pointing out <laughs> how good our segue was. But we did it anyway. So this controversy features a seemingly walking controversy. Mr. Michael Schumacher. Is there a tear without him? I'm not entirely <laughs> sure there is. Um, so, it's the 1999 Malaysian Grand Prix, the penultimate round of the season, and Michael Schumacher is making his return after a broken leg had kept him out of action for six races, while his teammate Eddie Irvine fought McLaren's Mika Hakkinen for the title. McLaren had a bit of a stinker with the strategy um, during this race and Hakkinen actually ended up third with his title rival Irvine taking the win and Schumacher taking second. Thanks to this result, the title battle looked to be fought all the way to the end of the 1999 season, an outcome I think all fans enjoy. We love a title battle that goes to the end as long as the rules are respected during the race. <sighs> I don't want to talk about Abu Dhabi. The FIA, however, threw a spanner in the works as both Ferraris were disqualified from the Malaysian Grand Prix, making Mika Hakkinen the default provisional champion, and I believe as well McLaren the provisional constructors champions. This disqualification happened due to an infringement on Ferrari's barge board after a check that is speculated, although denied by McLaren, to have occurred due to McLaren tipping the FIA off. Checks had already occurred and this disqualification came about due to a second check. Understandably, Ferrari took this to the International Court of Appeal and publicly spoke out against the penalty, with even Bernie Eccleston speaking out against it, stating that the rules were too strict and bad for the sport. Eventually, the International Court of Appeal found in favour of Ferrari and the FIA took responsibility owing to a faulty measuring system and unclear regulations. As a result, Ferrari had the win and points from the Malaysian Grand Prix and the title lead going into the final round reinstated. For many, the controversy comes from Ferrari being disqualified in the first place, but for others, the controversy comes from the reinstatement. Ferrari changed their barge board for the final race and David Coulthard made the point of, if it's legal, why would they change it? Additionally, Jackie Stewart put forth that the faulty measuring system had been used for all of the races, so why should it be an exception now? Ultimately, whether or not the penalty was applied, Mika Hakkinen won the Drivers' Championship, beating out the Ferrari drivers to the win in Japan. However, Ferrari took the Constructors' Championship, 
something that would not have happened had the penalty been applied. Is it legal? Is it illegal? Who knows? Faulty measuring system? Oh. There's another case of a not really surprising situation going on right there with Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Ferrari, Ferrari. We love Ferrari. Is always Michael Schumacher. <laughs> Every time. What a guy. What what a what a guy, honestly. Like one of the greatest of all time? Yes. One of the cleanest of all time? No. <laughs> but kind of a kind of a legend because of it. Dude just shoved Damon Hill off. Not only is he joint for the most world championships achieved in Formula One history, he is the king of drama. King of, like, ah, and a fashion icon. Black vest, let's go. Oh, Michael. (laughs) Oh, Michael. Righty-ho, what have we got next? Oh, I shouldn't say that. This is Michael Schumacher that we can segue to super cleanly. No, no, I'm afraid not. This one's quite a sad one, actually. (laughs) Lower the tone. Oh no, tone. Bring the tone down. Bring it down. After that, I think it. Okay, after after this one, we're we're past. um, No, we're not. I was going to say we're past the death, but we're not. Sorry. Okay, tone's coming down. Just death. No, no, it's not, because wait till you hear what the last one is. Um, So next we have the 1975 Spanish Grand Prix. So, before getting into the sad events that happened during this race, I want to first highlight that it served as a landmark, truly landmark race, in in a positive way, different way. As during this weekend, Lella Lombardi became the first, and as of right now, only woman to score points in the Formula One World Championship. Um, I say points, it was half a point as the race stopped before 60% completion, but the point still stands that she scored point. Queen. Queen. Tone's going back down though, because unfortunately this race is not remembered for that fact. Right from the start of the weekend, drivers who were members of the GDPA threatened strike action as the barriers around the street circuit were not bolted together properly. Some bolts were missing, some plates had gaps between them, etc. etc. Whilst track staff worked overnight to try and fix the barriers, aided by some mechanics from the F1 teams themselves, the drivers still had their doubts. There was no choice, however, as the drivers were told that they had to drive or would face legal action, forcing them to call off the strike. Some drivers still found a way out of the race, with defending world champion Emerson Fittipaldi doing the stipulated three laps at a very slow pace and then announcing he would not race, as well as Wilson Fittipaldi and Arturo Mazzario, who pulled into the pitch during the first lap. The rest of the drivers, however, qualified in the normal competitive manner and took part in the race. There had been multiple major incidents during the first 17 laps of the race, taking out heavy hitters like Lauda, Hunt and Andretti, which meant that Rolf Stommelen found himself leading the race, a driver who, whilst being a very successful endurance driver, had never made a major impact in Formula 1. Unfortunately, on lap 26, Stommelen's rear wing broke as he was driving at 150 miles per hour at the start of the lap, causing the car to crash into the barrier and rebound onto the track, hitting the opposite barrier and bouncing over it before dropping down. Whilst Stomlin got out of the incident alive, although with a number of major injuries, four onlookers were killed in the incident. Despite the immediately obvious fatal incident, the race continued for four laps before being halted, during which Jochen Mass made the overtake for the win, his only win during his F1 career. Beyond the premature deaths that occurred during the race, the Grand Prix is also controversial for a couple more reasons. Everything that I said about the barriers earlier is somewhat of a red herring. The barrier, um, one actually worked on by Stommelin's own mechanics, held up during the incident. 
Unfortunately, though, the press connected the two events, vilifying what was an apparently great track to the point that F1 never drove on it again. Additionally, this weekend represented a shift in power within Formula 1. Previously, drivers had the power to get races called off if they believed it to be unsafe, which is in an ideal world where the power should lie. However, as the constructors had signed a number of commercial contracts requiring their participation in Grand Prix weekends, it gave them leverage to twist the GDPA's arm when it came to participating in races, causing a shift in power that has never really moved back since. That is foul when you actually think about it. Yep. Yeah. I don't know, it's like... It just... What do you say? It's like... I mean, first of all, absolutely tragic that all those lives were lost. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that was then used as the turning point to make... um, Almost turns, like, the sport and the drivers into a travelling circus, almost. Yeah, and I mean, of course there are times where the drivers do since then stand up for themselves and go, oh, it's unsafe, but ultimately like they didn't have the ultimate the ultimate power anymore they it got like F1 needs to be commercial to survive I accept that unfortunately that also comes with its downfalls which include the fact that the safety of everyone involved isn't I mean it is paramount to an extent but it isn't always paramount they raced at Saudi Arabia when a missile had gone off not far from the circuit. That was only last year. So. Money talks. Cash is king. Yeah. And I think it's, it's it a shame. Before. It is a shame. From what I read as well, that was apparently a, a very good track. Very exciting track. Um, I don't know, I didn't look enough into it, so I don't know how it would hold up now with the current F1 cars and the speeds, but it seemed like like a fun track. And I think it was a street track, so F1 would love it. So, next one we have 1959 US Grand Prix. I remember it well. (laughs) 1959, back in my day. Back I feel like we're getting day. through these at quite a speed, actually. So, maybe... Let's just... Shall we just take a moment? Just think... What What do you think the next F1 controversy is going to be? Uh, as in, not the next one I'm going to read out, but the next controversy. Oh. Um... Mm. Would it be surprised? Would it surprise me if another team breached the That's cost what cap? I was going to say. I think knowing how little punishment <laughs> Red Bull had to face, I think another team breaches the cost cap, gets punished way more than Red Bull, and then take its court. Should we put bets on which team we we think that could be, hypothetically, if that were. Should the we case. say? It- should we say it after one? Should we just do a three, two, one? Say it. Okay, I've got a few in mind. I've I've got one that springs mostly to mind. I've got maybe got two. <laughs> okay. All right. Three, two, one. Mercedes. Oh, <laughs> we've gone opposite ends there. I'm not sure Hans have enough money to break the cost cap, honestly. Oh no, that is that is actually such a valid point. No, I was thinking Mercedes because they've you know they keep having the you know they've had a big upgrade. So I'm about another one at Silverstone, another one before the summer break. But at the same time, I don't I don't know cost with these. And then my other one was McLaren because at Baku they said, oh, we're going to have this big upgrade and it's going to put us back in con- contention again. And now they're like, oh, they, like before, I can't remember, I feel like it was like the last race or something, they're like, oh, we're going to have this big upgrade, they'll put us in contention again. And, and then they have another one where it's like, we've got a big upgrade, we'll put us in contention again. And every time they're just not, they're not at the back, but they're not at the front, you know. The only qualm I have with Mercedes is that, although... Look, Mercedes better not. 
I know. Although, um, I mean, an argument could be made that breaching the cost cap could cause damage to their reputation, but then you look at Red Bull, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, has Red Bull's reputation taken a huge hit? It's probably taken mm. a, it's taken a hit from fans, but are they suffering because of it? No, but I see Mercedes as like the goody two shoes we 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 hold ourselves to higher morals than the norm mclaren however (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't put it past them (laughs) and i say has has doesn't have the budget to do that but if has did if they did of course they would has is the team that would try to exploit every possible loophole they they don't care they're mm. red they're willing to ruffle feathers even if they do it accidentally <laughs> even if they do it accidentally and you know what i'd have their back <laughs> <laughs> i'd have their back but from from right over here <laughs> What about, we just need, like, every team to break the cost cap apart from, like, Williams. Then Alex Albon wins the championship. Wouldn't surprise me if Red Bull get done for another breach, though, considering how late in the year the 2021 breach got announced. And they, from what they said, it sort of wasn't, mm, they didn't mean to. There was some kind of error or something. Um, in their calculations. So it wouldn't surprise me if they breached it again last year. That'd be spicy. I'd love it. Purely so I could get another clip of the prin- <laughs> team principals in Drive to Survive yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Change your fucking budget! <laughs> you change your budget! I've got the receipts! Yeah, uh, Chekhov said your sandwiches are shit. <laughs> <laughs> catering we love it right okay now we've guessed the future controversy let's move on to 1959 united states grand prix qualifying so the 1959 united states grand prix took place at the sebring international raceway it is pronounced sebring right i've always read it as sebring in my mind sebring no it has to be sebring Surely. S E B R I N G. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> this is a problem. When I do these, like I really overthink my pronunciation of things. Like to the point where it's like I I could look at the word Chloe and I'll be like Sebring. Is it Chloe? Sebring. 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 According to Google. Sebring. Sebring. Well, I apologise to everyone that I offended by calling it Sebring. Um, I'm just a letdown. You've ruined the podcast. You've won. What a sad little life, Rachel. You've ruined the podcast. I hope you take the money because <laughs> you have all the grace and decorum of a reversing dump truck. Yep. Thanks. I understand that reference. <laughs> right. Imagine if now Google's tongue is it wrong and it's. <laughs> anyway, took place at Sebring International Raceway and was the final race Z? of the 19. 19- trust Google. <laughs> of the 1959 season. This was a particularly exciting season finale as there were still three title contenders Jack Brabham, Sterling Moss, and Tony Brooks. This controversy, though, firstly focuses on another entrant in the race, USAC champion Roger Ward, who would be driving his dirt racing Curtis Craft Offenhauser midget, a car that definitely did not conform to Formula 1 regulations but was allowed to race anyway. Despite allegedly claiming that he'd leave the F1 cars in the dirt, ha ha ha, funny by me, very good pun, 
Ward ended up qualifying 43 seconds off of pole, starting in last place. He was allowed to race though, as none of the teams protested the car, probably because they didn't feel threatened. Kind of love that he was so confident. <laughs> to be like, yeah, yeah, this car's going to go great around here compared to your car, so it was 43 seconds <laughs> off of pole. Kind of confidence I want. Same, honestly. There is though another controversy that occurred in this race, which surrounds American driver Harry Shell or Scal. Oh, it must be Shell. It won't be Scal. Surely not. Oh, I've done it again. <laughs> Harry Shell. I'm going Shell. Who qualified eleventh? Well, until he was bumped up to third and onto the front row with a lap time of three minutes five seconds that allegedly came near the end of the session a lap that was an incredible six seconds faster than his previous best time nearly every other team protested this particularly ferrari whose driver had been bumped off the front row leading to a shouting match that persisted through a rendition of the star spangled banner Shell did end up starting third, but ultimately dropped down to eighth on the first lap and retired after only six laps. Now, how do you think that Mr. Shell managed to pull out such an incredible lap time that somehow went under the radar, Chloe? He either cut some corners, or there was some very dodgy timekeeping going on. Well... It turns out that on the track was a sharp right turn just after the MG bridge and before the S's, which was thought by many to go nowhere. However, whether through purposeful investigation or a happy accident, Shell found that the turn connected to the end of the warehouse straight, meaning that by going through it, he managed to skip the entire warehouse hairpin and the straight. He cut out a hefty chunk and nobody noticed. Props to him. <laughs> you know what? Think smart and not harder, you know? It's like, do you know when you play Mario Kart and you find the cheap cut through? <laughs> yeah. Valid. Big jump. Big valid. You know what? We See, these are the kind of people we respect on this podcast. Big brain energy. Big brain. Biggest brain. Bigger brain than us. <laughs> True. That's not difficult. For instance, if Yuki Tsunoda found a way to... I'm trying to think of a track that would be easy to... Monaco. <laughs> divert at Monaco without anyone noticing which would be near like, impossible just a tunnel underground I wouldn't be mad wouldn't be mad at it no would not be mad in fact in fact F1's too boring why aren't more mm. drivers trying to find the secret roads and the escape why, roads this is it this is the kind of cheating we want not cost cuts breaking we want people to cut whole parts of the track without getting caught. If Max Verstappen did that, my respect for him would go up. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Okie dokie. Chloe, are you ready for the next controversy? I am ready. So, our next controversy is uh, Juan Manuel Fangio getting kidnapped in Cuba. So, brilliant. Time for a, yeah, I know. weren't expecting that one, were you? So, time for a very brief and very reductionist history lesson. At the time of the 1958 Cuban Grand Prix, Cuba was in a very tumultuous political position, ran by a non-elected corrupt government under Batista that grew tyrannical and violent, as well as hugely anti-communist. Cuba had been turned into a playground for the rich and the government-funded Grand Prix was only going to get even more eyes onto the country and attract the wealthy Americans. During this time, though, the Cuban Revolution had been occurring for a number of years with Fidel Castro at the helm of the military and political effort to overthrow the Cuban dictatorship. So, 
Considering this, let's take ourselves to the Hotel Lincoln in Havana, where many of the top drivers were staying the day before the Grand Prix. Juan Manuel Fangio, a five-time Formula One champion at this point, strode into the hotel lobby on his way to get his tea, when all of a sudden he was confronted by a young man in a leather jacket with a pistol in his hand who said, Fangio, you must come with me. I am a member of the 26th of July revolutionary movement. And as one of Fangio's friends went to throw a paperweight at the mysterious man, he turned his pistol stating, Stay still. If you move, I shoot. After this exchange, Fangio was accompanied by the man to a car and was officially kidnapped. Interesting fact, the kidnappers had intended to take Sterling Moss as well, but Fangio said that he was on his honeymoon and convinced the kidnappers that searching for him would be fruitless, considering the police would be there before they found him. This was all just waffle from the Argentinian legend, and Moss later spoke of his gratitude as he spent the night at the hotel being protected under armed guard pretty brave to you know guys got a pistol up against you and you straight up lie and you try and throw a paperweight <laughs> that was his friend that wasn't that wasn't our guy juan <laughs> i mean kudos the next to day. the friend oh yeah for, for trying i mean what's a gun when you've got a paperweight exactly what what if it was a paperweight that looked like a gun hey <laughs> um <laughs> if he had the a good aim, day. that could be a dangerous paperweight. Paperweight, dangerous to the head. paperweight. That's it exactly. The next day, whilst Fangio remained with his kidnappers, the race actually went ahead, despite the fact that one of the top drivers had been kidnapped. Are you mental? Yeah, it went ahead. It did. It was maybe a symbol of the desperation of the Batista government in putting on a strong and glamorous front, um, when in reality they were not strong nor glamorous. Unfortunately, though, Fangio's kidnapping is not the only controversy from this Grand Prix. The race itself only lasted six laps as a tragic accident occurred when local driver Armando Garcia Cifuentes lost control of his car and went head-on into a crowd of spectators, injuring over 30 people and killing seven. The government tried to pin this on the anti-government rebels, but the real cause was found to be oil spilled by Roberto Mieres, his Porsche, due to a broken oil line. Now, you may be concerned for Juan Manuel Fangio's well-being during all of this. I mean, for goodness sake, the police thought they'd taken him to the mountains. You know? Uh, the police were wrong. Juan Manuel Fangio was actually put up in a nearby apartment block where he was given a lovely steak dinner, paper to write a letter about how well he was being treated, and a radio so that he could keep up with the race. Fidel Castro wasn't stupid. How bad would it look for his movement if he mistreated a driver as beloved by Central and South America as Fangio was, let alone the world? So, the kidnappers dropped Fangio off near to the Argentinian ambassador's residence after the race, and he then popped up in a press conference stating, If what the rebels did was in good cause, and I, as an Argentinian, accept it. We got on well. They were just making a political point. I simply saw young people with what they felt was a just cause. The Cuban government was thoroughly humiliated. Not only was their spectacle Grand Prix a disaster, the opposing regime received somewhat of an endorsement from one of the most beloved sports people in the region, even though they'd kidnapped him. What a weekend. You just don't get driver kidnappings anymore. I mean, come on. Gone are the good old days. Oh man, back in my day. <laughs> these drivers insane. aren't real men anymore. None of these guys would throw a paperweight at a man with a gun. <laughs> that is mental. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. When I was reading about it, I was thinking this is just I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If we've got a driver kidnapping on tier five and you say there are two more tiers to go. <laughs> hey, I haven't even started writing notes for next two tiers, so I can't even like begin to tell you what's on them, but I know that it's gonna it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Jeez. Louise. Yeah, yeah big ol' Louise. 
yeah i just that one is is mad because it's just like as well i mean obviously fanjo weren't happy about being kidnapped but they were just like just stay here for a bit and he got a letter actually i think uh, i can't remember how many years later it was it might have been like 33 or something I remember reading this he got a, a, card, a birthday card and all it said on it was from your kidnappers from your friends the kidnappers something like that hasn't been confirmed whether they were the ones that actually sent it but it sort of weirdly this whole incident strengthened his relationship with cuba and the cuban people and it was only later that year actually new year's eve that um fidel castro and his movement took over cuba so i don't know this it could have been a significant significant part in it the grand prix and it all backfired on Batista. And I mean the political figure and not the wrestler that is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyway. <laughs> I am and I Are you still are you still figuring no, it out? Just, <laughs> You're I'm still just, getting your head around it. I'm just taking a second to sink let it sink in. You carry on. Let that sink in. Okay. So, our next controversy. This is actually the second to last. Would you believe it? This is... We're actually going quite far forward in time. A lot of these have been pre-2000. And now, we're going to 2012. With Felipe Massa's US Grand Prix grid penalty. So, the 2012 US Grand Prix was the first time F1 found itself at the Circuit of the Americas. And it was the penultimate round of the season. Going into which... Red Bull Sebastian Vettel was leading the championship with 255 points and Ferrari's Fernando Alonso was in second with 245, with the two being the final drivers in contention for the championship still. Sebastian Vettel ended up getting pole just one-tenth ahead of second position Lewis Hamilton, who's that guy, and Fernando Alonso found himself down in ninth, although this did become eighth after Grosjean got a five-place grid penalty from fourth due to a new gearbox. His qualifying was not helped by the fact that Ferrari sent him out on a set of scrub softs on his final run, but, you know, Ferrari does as Ferrari does. Alonso's teammate, Felipe Massa, though, qualified two places ahead of the Spaniard, putting him in sixth. Now, you all probably know this, but for the sake of explanation, I'll go through it. In Formula 1, drivers line up on the grid in staggered pairs, meaning there's essentially two sides you can find yourself on. Often it tracks as a clean side and a dirty side dependent on where the racing line is, meaning that sometimes a driver can benefit from being on a certain side and even qualifying second rather than on pole or qualifying third rather than being in second on the front row. I think Valtteri Bottas... Uh, in Drive to Survive season 3 springs to mind of when he was like maybe I qualified in third on purpose <laughs> now you may remember me mentioning that this race was the first time that F1 raced at Circuit of the Americas this was because the track was only finished two months before the race so as you'd probably imagine this meant that the track was extremely green not literally and therefore quite slippy, with drivers being sent out for extended runs in Q1 by their teams in order to lay down some rubber. The issue here is that obviously the cars were only laying down rubber on the racing line, which is where the odd positions were, so those who qualified first, third, fifth, etc. This was important when it came to drivers' starts off the line, as it was being predicted that being on the wrong side of the grid would lose you two positions at the start, which is significant so what could ferrari do ultimately both the drivers found themselves on the wrong side of the grid surely it's tough luck to them goodbye to a potential third title for fernando alonso but no ferrari had an idea that is either extremely big brain extremely unsportsmanly or a bit of both they broke the seal on a new gearbox for Felipe Massa. Didn't put it in his car, just broke the seal. But that meant that he got a five-place grip on it, which meant that both him and his teammate Fernando Alonso would start on the clean side of the grid. As Fernando Alonso went up one place, as Felipe came down five. 
Ferrari full-on admitted that this was for strategic reasons to help maximise, quote, Alonso's star potential, given that he's still in with a chance to win the Drivers' Championship. The team also mentioned that Felipe agreed to the idea, and it wouldn't surprise me if he did agree without too much discontent, as he had already publicly complained about the difference in grip between the sides of the grid, claiming that starting on the dirty side felt worse than starting on a wet track. Understandably, this was majorly controversial, with some calling it a good tactical move, although undoubtedly unsportsmanlike, and others in uproar, which wasn't too great for F1, considering that they were just trying to break the US market again. I, you know what? Maybe Big it's brain. just me, but like, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at it. I'm like, I'm, I'm almost proud. <laughs> They've literally just exploited a loophole. Exactly, like, and is it unsportsmanly? Yeah, but what was to stop anyone else doing it? Red Bull could have. Everyone done else it to just Mark salty that they didn't do the same. Yeah, if Mark, if, if Red Bull did to Mark Webber, like, ruined imagine. their seals. <laughs> if if Red Bull if Red Bull had done it to Mark Webber, that would have brought Fernando Alonso back onto the other side of the grid. It would have moved him up one, but put him back on the um, clean, which we don't want side of the grid but they didn't do it i mean sebastian vettel ended up winning the championship anyway but yeah that one i yeah i'm i don't mind it <laughs> i just think it's smart i don't know if there's like a rule stopping that now or or if there's to be fair there's usually no point because i don't think there's many tracks where because that had like a significant difference depending on what side the grid you're on but I think tracks aren't as significant now. Do we have any new tracks this year? Qatar, but that's a street race. Las Vegas, but that's a street... God, Las Vegas. Ugh. That's going to be controversial because it's going to be shit. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Just seen people playing on F123 and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm just... Living blissfully ignorant and pretending it's not happening. <laughs> Hasn't it got like a 10 year contract? Don't. You know what? If, if somehow Lewis Hamilton wins it or Fernando Alonso wins it, it will be the best okay. track in F1 history. It will be, I will love it. I will, I will be there next year with my hat on, having time my life. But right now, <laughs> no. So, Chloe, we have one controversy left. The final controversy of tier five. What could be on the magnitude of the controversies we've heard so far? What could cause uproar, pride, devastation, hurts, disqualifications? All the emotions encapsulated into one controversy. Do you know what I'm talking about, Chloe? I don't have a clue. I'm talking about foo. <laughs> and that's Why it the hell for this is episode foo? of The Rookies. Why is foo on the What, what are we talking <laughs> about next week? <laughs> foo! <laughs> right. I haven't actually written any notes for Foo. Um, because I'm sorry, I'm first sorry, off, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It shouldn't be on here. <laughs> We've had a driver kidnapping. We have had... <laughs> we have had serious conspiracists. And now we've got Foo. <laughs> Foo is like tier one. Foo? No, right. I don't even think Foo's a controversy. Right, so for anyone that wasn't there at the time, Foo happened... Was it 2021 Foo happened? I think so. So Foo is basically... Everyone that had the F1 app one day got a notification that said Foo. F, double O, all lowercase, that was it. Four minutes later, I have the screenshot, there was another notification that said, hmm, comma, I should check my security dot dot smiley face now maybe it's a controversy because some people think 
Oh god, the system got hacked. They've got the details. Whoa. First off, this is the most together F1 Twitter's ever been. Agreed. I think. You know, whether you're a Lewis fan, whether you're a Max fan, whether you're a Charles fan, a Carlos fan, whether you're a Checo fan, whether you're a George fan, whether you're a Valtteri fan, whether you're a Pierre, Esteban, Fernando, Lance, whatever. All everyone was talking about was foo. We all experienced foo together. We all shared this one word. And for those few moments, all of us became one. And yes, people thought that they were getting hacked, especially with the second message. Mostly check my security. Um, I want to see if I can find the message because Simon, who is a previous, um, a previous podcast um, co-host here, guest host. Can I put my money on the fact that a 16-year-old was bored at home and somehow managed to get into the it's configurations? It's You know what? It's not even that exciting. Genuinely. So, I found the message Simon sent me. So, it was 3rd of July this happened, 2021. Simon sent me, and I quote, Foo and bar are commonly used whenever a programmer needs a test word or name. So it's likely that some intern just messed up. I mean, That's that, literally all there is to it. That was my first thought. There's some social intern. Just... Accidentally. Yeah. It, it's really not that exciting. But no, but according the to moment... Twitter, it's the end <laughs> of the world. The moment was a moment that I, I, I miss. I would love to just have that. Everyone, everyone fights too much. Everyone is too controversial. Everyone wants to one-up each other. Why not just why not just relish in the blissful ignorance that is foo? Bring back foo. Bring back foo. And with that, and on that note. tier five <laughs> of the controversy iceberg is done. <sighs> so... That's it for this episode of The Rookies. What are we talking about next week? Austrian Grand Prix. It's sprint weekend. Weather forecast is saying rain. That means it'll probably be dry. Um, are the red... It, well, I say the Red Bulls. Is Max Verstappen probably going to smash it out of the park? Probably. But never say never. You never know when a Lewis Hamilton win's going to pop up. <laughs> And if you want to follow us on our Twitter, make sure to follow at the rookies F1. And be sure to tune in next week and have, have a, a day. day. Right, speech later guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. Couple of weeks till tier six, but I'm sure that one will get even more juicy.